great Odin's raven. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy. This is, this is ridiculous. Okay, I'll go. I'll go. I'll go. I'll go. I'll go. I'll go. Hello and welcome to the FilmPulse.net podcast. This is episode number 61. My name is Adam. Today I'm joined by Kevin. What's going on, Kevin? I'm doing all right. All right. Today we got a great show lined up. First, we'll be speaking with Gary Lachance on his new film, The Rise of the DDP, which is our Kickstart Sunday project from last week. Then I'll be having a chat with Film Pulse contributor Ernie Trinidad about his thoughts on the Evil Dead remake. Then we'll be going over some of what we've been watching, and finally we'll be going over this week's movie predictions and DVD and Blu-ray releases. First, let's jump right into our Kickstart Sunday interview with Gary Lachance and talk about his new film, The Rise of the DDP. First of all, for those who don't know, maybe you could tell us, what is the DDP? The DDP is the Decentralized Dance Party thing my friend Tom and I started back in 2009 up here in Vancouver, Canada. And how it works is we get a portable FM radio transmitter and a backpack, hundreds of old vintage boomboxes collected, and there are all the boom boxes are tuned to our radio frequency. And then we have a microphone and an iPod that transmits music and voice out to all the boom boxes. And we organize through social media huge, crazy roaming dance parties where we hand out boom boxes to hundreds of people and party through cities. Now, um, were you guys at South by Southwest this year? Yep, we were there the last two years. Okay, yeah, because we, we were there, and we we saw it. We were, like, in the midst of that, and I didn't realize... I didn't put two and two together until right before we started recording, and Kevin, Kevin mentioned to me that we saw uh, everybody in the banana suits, and I was like, oh, shit. Yeah, we were unknowingly on the outskirts of a decentralized <laughs> dance party. Yeah, but it was great. I loved it. So... Uh, now, your big plan, th- this Kickstarter project you have going is kind of twofold, right? It's the documentary, and then it's also what you plan on doing a global, what, what do you call it? A global... The global party pandemic of 2014. Yeah, the... Nice. So maybe maybe you can tell us a little bit about how you plan on pulling that together. <laughs> well, we're kind of figuring it out as we go along. But basically, the plan is to. We've got a Kickstarter set up right now for 25000 and that is. Funds will be used to create a documentary film from the 600 hours of crazy footage we've got over the last four years. And also building a website for the global party pandemic, aka the Grand Unification Tour. And basically. We're going to set up a Kickstarter for every single country on the face of the earth, which there's about 192 or 196, depending who you ask and who you want to include. So we'll set up a Kickstarter in every place, and we'll choose basically the top 50 that get funded, and then we're going to do a world tour, hopping from place to place, and we'll basically land in each country. You'll have ten thousand dollars in ten days to assemble a fleet of boom boxes connect with locals promote the party 
figure out how to smooth things up with the authorities and throw a party. And in every city we go to, we're going to leave behind an autonomous DDP party cell. And then once it's all complete, we'll broadcast a simultaneous global dance party to all of them at the same time. I think that nice. that's just the most amazing <laughs> idea nice. ever. I, I love it. How did you guys start the DDP? Like, what what made you want to do this? Yes, we just thought it would be a really awesome thing to do. We were out on bikes one night with boomboxes strapped to them. And we tuned them both into the same radio station, and it made a really cool distributed sound effect. So we've had the idea that what would happen if we could get hundreds of boomboxes and our own transmitter, become our own radio station, and just throw the crazy parties, subways, and fountains just invading everywhere. <laughs> now, kind of bouncing off of that, uh, you stated in your in the intro video that you had that, that these parties are peaceful, free of drugs and alcohol and, and craziness. Have you ever had any incidents where things got maybe a little out of control? No, it's been a pretty insane social experiment. It wasn't what we expected at all when we started. Like We just wanted to throw the craziest, funnest parties possible. But then eventually we started noticing... Like, we started really small, but then by the time the Olympics came around, in early 2010 here in Vancouver, we were attracting thousands of people to the parties, and they were totally nuts, but people were still really well-behaved. There was no problems with like drinking tickets or fights or anything like that. And the other weird phenomenon we were noticing, too, was people would say, like, yeah, I showed up with, like, a backpack full of beer, but I was having so much fun, I forgot to even drink it. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, it was. I mean, it wasn't what we expected. We're not like anti drugs or alcohol, but we kind of took that, and that's when we wrote the party manifesto (laughs) where we said that the goal of any party should be to create an atmosphere where the atmosphere itself dissolves people's inhibitions rather than having to rely on drugs and alcohol to do that. So just kind of seeing partying as an art form. trying to create that experience every time and i'm sure that 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 helps when you kind of approach some of these uh place public places to get like do you you get like permits and stuff to do this (laughs) yeah no we've never had a permit we've done 53 (laughs) of these now and it definitely helps when we're explaining to the cops what this thing is with thousands of people going totally insane through their streets unexpectedly (laughs) (laughs) um getting back to the kickstarter project maybe you can highlight some of the uh incentives that you got going on with this project yeah i guess that's another cool aspect of this thing is we've always said that it's as much as much about promoting decentralization as it is partying so a big part of that has been the tours we've done like six tours now or something gone to like 33 different cities and every tour we the model for funding is we'll set up a kickstarter and a bunch of different places and say if you can fund this we'll come to you so it's decentralized funding which keeps Mm. it of the people by the people for the people and we can evolve it 
and maintain creative control exactly the way we think it should be maintained instead of having to answer to a sponsor or someone else who might have different agenda but uh, basically yeah we're offering on this one we're trying to raise 25,000 and we're about 10,000 away right now with 4.5 days to go and we put in as many awesome rewards as we can there's downloads of the film get your name in the credits there's party power bands which are basically those wrestling armbands with the tassels handmade mm-hmm. there's jammy packs which is like a boom box and a fanny pack yes pad printed <laughs> you can buy tom's mustache or my flat top it's a limited edition Sweet. you have ten thousand dollars burning a hole <clears throat> and a bunch of other amazing things i won't even mention people will have to check out the kickstarter to see yeah absolutely uh well, Gary, thanks so much for uh, taking some time to uh, chat with us. I know it's early there, so I can, I'll can let you go get some coffee. I might go, recharge. Back, I go back to bed. <laughs> yeah, there, there Been like three hours of sleep. All right, man. Well, thank you so much for uh, talking with us. The Rise of the DDP, that's the name of the documentary portion, right? Yeah, if they go to Kickstarter and just search Party Pandemic, we're the only Party Pandemic on there right now believe it or not great (laughs) cool well uh best of luck yeah thanks for your support thanks again gary be sure to check out their kickstarter page uh we have a link in the show notes and it'll also be on the kickstart sunday section of the site moving right along let's go ahead and jump right into our interview of evil dead uh kevin since you didn't see evil dead we'll be excluding you from this conversation so i sat down with Ernie to talk about that. Let's get right into that. All right, we are talking about Evil Dead. This is written and directed by Fide Alvarez. Uh, we're going to start with you, Ernie, because uh, I have my review posted on the site. So, what did you think? Well, let me read the synopsis first here. Uh, five friends head to a remote cabin where they the discovery of a book of the dead leads them to unwittingly summon up demons living in the nearby woods. The evil presence possesses them until only one is left to fight for survival. Uh, it stars Jane Levy, Shiloh Fernandez, Jessica Lucas. What did you think of Evil Dead, Ernie? Um, as a fan of the entire franchise, um, way back when I thought it was great, but as I grew older and watching it, I'm like, yeah, the, the visual effects is a, a bit shoddy, but it's part of the time. And I always wondered what if Sam Raimi was actually able to redo Evil Dead present day with current standard visual effects and keep the level of intensity that the original had. And I was thinking this is going to be one messed up freak out of a movie. And so that's what I was hoping for. And the remake delivered close to what I was hoping for. I mean, but I still felt they probably could have further. I was hoping for something that would even make me dive under this but yeah i didn't get that far yeah i think um overall i was pleased with it and what i did was uh, i saw this at south by and when you see movies in a festival environment it's always kind of a, a different it's always a different vibe like we saw our screening had like the whole cast yeah. the director bruce campbell cool. everybody and everybody was like losing their shit <laughs> the entire time and it was at the Paramount Theater in Austin, so it was like a 1,400-seat theater. 
and it was it was just so much fun. Yeah, yeah. Now I, I went back and I rewatched it this weekend in one of my local cinemas, and it was like a completely like nobody was laughing, right. nobody was you know getting up and being crazy, and it was just complete silence the whole time. And it just it had a different feel. Like I didn't. I, I ended up not liking the movie as hmm. much because of that. Uh, believe it or not, I kind of had a similar experience, minus the cast and everything. My friends and I, we went to the, the first show out here in L.A., and everybody was eating it up. People were applauding. People were like gasping. And like, people were like, oh, my God, and then laughing and then applauding again. But unfortunately, a friend of mine got sick, so I ended up missing part of the movie. But the next day, I went back and rewatched it, and the audience was dead. <laughs> no reactions, yeah. any nothing. It was like almost like... Yeah, the same thing. It was like, this wasn't as good as I remember the first time I saw it, but I still enjoyed it. But I guess it different audiences, different times. It just, it just didn't play. I don't know what it was. Maybe it was just because the fanboys came out in, in droves on the first show. But mm-hmm. Probably, yeah. And I just think that that's, that's kind of an interesting dynamic that, that I rarely think about when I review movies, like how the experience affected my thoughts about the Right, movie. right. Um, out here in L.A., we have a lot of repertoire theaters, and they often show a lot of Grindhouse or old-school horror movies. And, like, I remember seeing a movie, I can't think of it, and I was like, when I first saw it, I thought that was just okay. But then I saw it in a packed audience, sold-out audience, and everybody was just, like, loving it. I'm like, oh, maybe this was better than I remember. <laughs> but it is true that audience uh, participation can actually impact the enjoyment of a movie, which is kind of odd. Getting back to, to Evil Dead itself... Um, there were a couple things that I did like, uh, most notably the gore. I mean, yeah. this this movie is completely over the top, bloody. Might have been the bloodiest movie I've ever seen, and I've seen a lot. Yeah, of bloody I'm amazed movies. they still got away with an R for the cut that was released. <laughs> yeah, and and I did. Uh, it was announced that it it did get an NC-17 rating originally, and they they had to cut some stuff out yeah. of it, and. I, and I could be wrong, and I probably am wrong, and it's probably just me projecting or whatever, but I could have sworn that the, the first screening that we saw at South By was more bloody, but I could be entirely wrong about that. Yeah, that, that but could it, be interesting, but I guess we won't know that until they release the unrated version. Yeah, and and I mean, this, this movie, even at the R rating, is, I mean, it's a hard R. Yeah. It's, <laughs> there's so much dismemberment and... Mm. I mean, at one point, it literally rains blood. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm like, wow. That's it. But at least um, in the level of gore and what they did, you can definitely clearly see the homages. They're, uh, they're tipping their hat to the original and Evil Dead 2, Dead by Dawn, which I loved. And how you see what's coming up, but you see how they turned it. So it was like for their film, it's like, yeah, that was cool. That was cool. And I was like, uh, but I remember the, the scene where uh, I can't remember her name, but she cuts her arm off with the mm-hmm. uh the uh electric uh, knife yeah and they just stayed on that i was just like uh the first uh first time i saw people were like oh my god uh, but the second audience like crickets but mm-hmm. i still thought because they said all the visual effects in this were 100 percent practical i mean even in the scenes that looked like it was cg i'm guessing that was real but i was still yeah. amazed on how they pulled that off without breaking frame and just staying on the cut it's like that looks like it's her arm but <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And th- that was one of the things um, that when the director spoke at, at South by he he really wanted to stress that 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 it was important to him that they use practical effects in this. Mm-hmm. And I think that because they used 
practical effects, it works so much better yeah. in this movie. I mean, everything looked so real and so gruesome and horrific mm-hmm. that I think if they put in a lot of the CG, it, it just wouldn't have had the same effect. Right, right, right. I mean, that affects a lot of like like even CGI blood. If they had any CGI blood in there, it would have just taken you out of the movies. Like, eh. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I think... I mean, I see a lot of horror movies, and anytime they include CG blood, I cannot stand it. I think that it's the biggest cop out mm. to use CG blood. We've talked about it on the show before. Right. Like that is just one pet peeve I have with movies. You no, know, now that I think of it, because I've established I've been jaded horror fan. This is actually the first horror film in a while I've actually liked. <laughs> Every other movie is like, yeah. yeah, this is unoriginal. This wasn't scary at all. That was stupid. And like. Like, oh, I actually remember really, yeah, I like this one. <laughs> yeah, and I think that the I think one of the big things that, that makes this movie a, a good remake is they like you said, the amount of fan service that they put in this movie, uh, but it's not most of it isn't blatant and right. a lot of it is done in a unique way. You know, like you said, the the electric carving thing. Like mm. that that's clearly a throwback to, to Evil Dead Two, but they do it. They kind of mix it up and make it different. Yeah, and that was that was good. And I I felt like the movie could have been a little less serious. I think there could have mm-hmm. been some more comedy thrown in there. Right. Uh, because especially when you look at Evil Dead Two, mm-hmm. there's there was so much more comedy. Yeah, with Evil know, Dead thrown in Evil there. Dead One, it was supposed to be a straight up horror film, and I I think that's what they were emulating. But uh, still yeah, throwing but, in the elements from Evil Dead Two. Yeah, and I, and I think it would have worked a little bit better if they did add a little bit more of the comedy. Now, that's right. not to say that there aren't humorous moments. Mm-hmm. Like, th- there are certain lines yeah. and, and things that happen that you have to laugh at because it's just intentionally over the top and ridiculous. Yeah, but... It comes to mind the, um, the scene in Dead by Dawn where Ash is talking to the mirror and his his reflection says, like, you just cut your girlfriend's head off. Do you think that's fine? <laughs> Yeah. And now that plays out in this one, it's dead serious in the scene that is totally unrelated. You're like, oh, it was like, yeah, she just did this. Is that fine? <laughs> it's like, right. You may, laugh you may laugh because, it's like, oh, yeah, that's that scene, or you may laugh because you find it funny. But I guess it depends on if you're new to the franchise or not. Yeah. And I think that there were a lot of things that someone that hasn't seen the original ones that they just would have missed and, mm-hmm. and probably disregarded or, or maybe even looked at as a fault in this movie. Right. Because there were, there were a lot of kind of cheesy things that they did put into this movie, but it's kind of hard for me to, to judge whether or not they were intentionally Mm. cheesy or if it was just, that's just how it was. And they were really trying to play it straight. I love that. There were, there were some cheesy moments and some melodramatic moments, but it took the time to establish that these are the rules for this evil dead universe. These are what has to go down. And then you see that's what's going down. It's like in other horror movies, it's like, oh, geez, he's going to do that. It's like, oh, come on, that is so stupid. But then you're like, no, this is necessary because that, right. that's what the rules are. So you're like, okay, uh, we'll go with it. And that, and that was like, I didn't, one of the, I guess one of the small nitpicks that I would have would be the melodramatic moments at the beginning of the movie where they're mm-hmm. establishing, you know, why they're there and and that type of thing. And the, the first uh, interaction between, um, the t- the two main characters um, when they were sitting on the the Evil Dead car. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, I just thought that that was kind of it was just too much. I, I wasn't <laughs> buying that. Well, and you compare that to the original, how it was like it's 
comes off as so painful in the dialogue. You're like, oh, and the acting. I mean, not to say, I mean, they're legendary yeah, now, the, but you're like, eesh. <laughs> right. And, that, and that's the thing. It's like, you, you don't really know what, I mean, maybe that was supposed to be yeah. overly melodramatic and cheesy. I mean, you, I don't really know. Right, right. And I guess it is to note that the, the screenplay was partly written by Diablo Cody and Fidel. I actually forgot about that. I totally forgot she was involved in that. I don't even think mm-hmm. she was credited. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think. I don't know if she was or not. I'm trying to remember the credits. Yeah, I don't remember seeing her name in the credits. Maybe it was a ghost rewriter or something. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. Now, um, being an Evil Dead fan, would you say that this this was a, a good, a solid remake? Um, I would say it's a solid remake, but for me personally, it pushed the envelope off because back then I thought that was a pretty gruesome time and I thought this would be nuts. This would probably be like uh, the first hard NC-17 theater release because there was just so much in there that they couldn't cut. But... I guess I have to read their, read their audience, but um, in terms of overall remakes, it doesn't like reach the pantheon of like say the Fly or the Thing, but um, it's definitely in line with the recent line of remakes like Dawn of the Dead or uh, Texas Chainsaw, which are actually pretty solid, but definitely better than anything like Amityville or Nightmare or the Halloweens or anything like that. Uh, yeah, I would I would agree with that. I mean, I don't think that this is like would you mention the fly and the thing i think that those are rare instances where at least for me the remakes are actually better than the originals yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely and I, there's i still think that evil dead 2 is better than this one i don't i don't know about the original evil dead no, probably, one, i'd still put it fourth in line of the uh, franchise below army of darkness i still think evil dead 2 is the best one but, um, yeah I, I do too but uh, but uh, but speaking I mean, of franchises like um, at WonderCon, that uh, Alvarez was talking about his plans for the franchise. I don't know if you heard about this or not, but mm-hmm. his ultimate plan is to let Remy and Campbell do their Army of Darkness too. Which I had to watch the panel online because I didn't get to go. They went nuts, and then it's like my plan is to do my Evil Dead too. And then he said, and then my ultimate goal is to do one final huge seventh film, which will cross over both franchises. But, uh, yeah, I did hear that, and I hope that that's going to happen. That would be great, I don't know. But then, if you when you do see the Evil Dead remake, it establishes that that could easily happen. I'm not I'm not talking about like anything you may see in the film, but I'm talking about the world that they established that this happened before. So there's no reason that Ash's universe can't exist in the same universe. We're just yeah, really that's cool. absolutely yeah. I mean, they they don't really they don't really tie them together. They don't write themselves in a corner with yeah, it. Yeah. You know, they could easily bring Bruce Campbell in and and have him. Other than the fact that the new the new one takes place mm-hmm. uh, nowadays. Yeah, but I don't and, think they I really mean, established any time period in the in the trilogy though. But no, I, don't think, you, I think it was yeah. just modern. Yeah, you do like, remember that with, the, with two and three, Raimi actually rewrote the first one in a as a setup for the new movie because of rights issues and everything. So it was like Evil Dead 2. It's like, you went back to the cat. I'll rewrite it first. And then Army of Darkness is like, he's going back to the cat. No, wait, this is a rewrite of the first two movies. Yeah, <laughs> so that, that's like, kind of the weird thing about that. I mean, essentially, the second one's a remake of the first one. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess it's, it's pretty much the same thing that happens. It's just tweaked a little bit. Mm-hmm. But um, performance wise, any, any highlights? Um, I thought they were 
performance-wise, they're all adequate. I mean, nobody for me just stood out. I mean, they all pretty much served as uh, demon fodder. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I guess I guess they must have because that was all the, the craziness that they had to go through. And, and if they if they didn't sell it, then you wouldn't buy it. But, um, but I guess me is Mia probably is the one that stood out. Um, the uh, the first possessed and the one stuck right. in the cellar. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and she she's essentially the main character. Yeah. I mean, I guess some people are saying that she's like considered the new Ash mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I can sort of see that, but right. Uh, I also liked um, Lou Taylor Pucci's character just because he he got tortured in this <laughs> movie. I mean, there was so much bad shit that happens yeah. to him throughout. Yeah, it's this almost movie. like he. The, uh, the punished ash <laughs> yeah he was the one that got I all mean, the first Campbell stuff <laughs> any any particularly um standout moments of of violence or gore that, mm-hmm. that you really that were highlights for you um i guess the one that stood out uh wasn't even like excessively gruesome but just super tense uh there was a moment probably in the latter half where mia is stuck in between two walls mm-hmm. and then a uh, the deadite just starts shoving a machete through the wall and she's still trying to get out she's in a corner and trying to get out and then the machete just keeps coming in and out in and out and every now and then it hits like eesh <laughs> so yeah pretty, that, pretty effective scene that was actually the one that i was going to mention too uh there's a, a part of that where it goes across her knee and it oh, just yeah. looks so incredibly <laughs> painful <laughs> And you just sit shock on her face as she sees it, and then it just slowly pulls out. You're like, I ah, like you could feel it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's just so, at that moment, that real moment as opposed to the outrageous moments, I guess that's what had the greatest impact. Yeah, I mean and and there was a lot of moments where you're just cringe worthy moments, yeah. I would say, in this in this movie. Now the the big marketing thing is the most terrifying movie you will ever experience or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Where did you, where did this fall for you as far as scares? Scares. Um, I guess there are two types of scares. There's a jump scares. Nah, not much there. And as for the kind of scares that get under your skin, um, not that scary. I mean, probably like uh, the original Eva dead. When I saw it, I was like 13, I guess. And it's like, I thought it was scary then, but now not so much. So this mm-hmm. one is probably in the same line as uh, not so scary. I guess scary would have to be something like on the supernatural level, like like the first normal that had some serious scary stuff in there. But yeah, uh, but Evil Dead didn't have anything like that. But it's still an effective movie, despite the fact that for me at least it wasn't that scary. Yeah, I would agree. I didn't I didn't find it to be like overly terrifying. Um, there were some creepy atmospheric moments, but. I mean, for the most part, it it kind of relied on the gore, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and that's that was fine. It worked in this movie. Mm-hmm. I didn't think that you know. Uh, the, I wish one of the things that they did in the other Evil Dead movies that they really didn't do too much was the sound in the Evil Dead movies right. was always really prominent. It was always very loud, mm-hmm. and uh, there there were particular scenes in like Evil Dead Two when. Um, it was just like loud banging noises and then they would oh, do yeah. like the fast zooms on yeah, like different yeah, yeah. things in the cabin and that type of thing. And just the way that the camera moved mm-hmm. in, in those, the original films, I thought, 
I wish they would have done that more in this one. And they do do it. Right. They do use some of the same camera techniques, but I I just kind of wanted a little bit more of that. Right. But it is Raimi, so I don't know if you want to be like mimicking Raimi. You might not get it right. (laughs) That's that's true. Just try to do enough to give you the the gist of it. That's true. But, I mean, that's that's really what what makes me like Mm -hmm. the original Evil Dead movies so much is the just all the different camera stuff that he does. And right. that's what makes it really effective for me. But uh, I gave it a seven out of 10 on the site uh, after rewatching it. I don't know. I might, I would probably bump it down maybe to a six and a half, but mm. where, where do you think you're sitting at a 10 on this? Uh, for me, I'm about a six out of 10. Okay. Six out of 10. Yeah. yeah six right. out of 10. I, initially I thought it was about a seven the first time I saw it, but that was the audience. And then on um, second time, that brings it down to about a six. So, yeah. I mean, for me, for our movie getting a six for me now is like a 10 might as well be. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I I don't know. I think, uh, this year we're going to see some good stuff this year. I I think. Yeah. I, um, I saw the trailer for the conjuring uh, for the first time. I was like, this actually looks like it could be good, but, um, that uh, that could be good. Then again, I wasn't a fan of insidious though. So (laughs) I will see. I did. I liked insidious. Kevin hated insidious, but I, I liked that one quite a bit but i think um your next adam weingard's your mm. next is gonna be solid and uh, i'm excited for vhs too yeah cool yeah that was actually my friend uh, calvin who i interviewed uh is actually involved in both of those and pretty much shoots small he's not involved in vhs too but uh he's, he's in your next he's... and he pretty much shoots the movie down he's <laughs> like well you haven't even seen the movie yet it's like i don't know but i don't want to be involved in it it's like and then he want he was never he was initially offered a segment in VHS one but not two so he's like yeah well whatever <laughs> so, yeah he was in one I remember seeing yeah, him in one yeah he was an actor in one but uh, they was offered a segment but the one that he gave them they just didn't want to do I'm like oh what was it he's like you won't tell me <laughs> oh because like oh. he's holding on to it so maybe he'll do something with it but I'm like and uh. So he's is he an actor in uh, your next as well? I uh, an actor. Uh, I think he plays a cop, but I don't know what the scene is. So, mm. but he is. Well, in there's there. a ton. There's a ton of people like Joe Swanberg and Ty West. And yeah, yeah. So Amy uh, Seinmetz uh, and Barbara Crampton, I think, isn't it? Yeah, ton of. I, I'm I'm really excited to see that. So, I mean, initial impressions I, I thought that. it was Stranger Two, but then I'm like, no, this isn't Stranger Two. <laughs> but yeah, it it does look similar to that but yeah. i don't know Ho- hopefully it'll be something fresh i've been hearing good things yeah yeah so all right well i think that that wraps it up ernie cool. thank you so much oh, for, nice uh, for having me on taking some time to talk with us about evil dead would you recommend this to people um for hardcore horror fans it's a must if you like horror movies yes but if you like horror movies that aren't that are not gory then stay away <laughs> Yeah, yeah, this definitely dumps on the gore. All right, uh, I think that'll do it. Thank you very much, sir. Okay, great. There you have it. Let's get into some of what we've been watching, shall we? I guess we can. I had a a pretty decent week. Actually, I had two 10 out of 10s on my list this week. Are you kidding Uh, me? I I started it off with a movie that's not a 10 out of 10, which was Nitro Circus, the movie. Oh, why? The reason, the only reason that I even gave this a watch was because i just got the netflix super hd and i wanted to test out some stuff with that and i thought that it might look cool 
And it, it did look really good on the Super HD. But uh, the movie itself, I mean, it's not even a movie. It's like, it's just like a, a stunt video. It's hardly a movie at all. So I, I don't really have much to say. There's some cool stunts in it, but it's not, it's not great. Uh, then I saw a Woman Under the Influence, finally. Uh, after year 10 out of 10, I decided that I, I had to knuckle down and give it a I watch. I had to do it. Yeah. And I and I loved it. I really did. I thought it was just a a brilliant, brilliant film. Yeah, it is quite say, amazing. I, mean, I I really can't say enough about it. Like this is a movie that I'll probably go back and revisit every couple of years. It's just one of those movies that it's just so good. I mean, it looks amazing. It really feels ahead of its time. Yeah. And uh, th- there was just it was such an odd movie when you think about it. Like. I I talked to you uh, after I saw it, and there were just certain things. Like, first of all, everybody in that whole family seemed so high-strung. Oh, yeah. There, there's a lot of stress going on. And the, the, the fact that on several occasions, Peter Falk says, I, I'll either I'll kill your kids or I'll kill our own kids. <laughs> or I'll kill you. I'll kill you and your kids. Yeah. <laughs> Peter Falk is, he, yeah, he's a bit high-strung in this film. What? And, like, I I can understand that he is certainly under a lot of stress. I mean, he's dealing with his wife and, and people. He's obviously concerned about what people are saying and thinking about his wife, and that has him stressed out, and his job and the kids and all this stuff, and it's just kind of, you know. Yeah, because it seems like in that film that he's, he's working, like, like 32 hour days it seems like yeah but uh it it just seemed like he was just exploding every 10 seconds now i would venture i guess this is probably your first cassavetes film i think it is yeah i can't remember if i saw any other ones i would suggest if you want to see anything else i would suggest going with opening night next because opening night once again has features an amazing performance by gina rollins and it's just a shame. It seems like she's really underappreciated for how good she is. Yeah, I mean, she's, she, had a, she's had a pretty decent career, though. Yeah, but I think she's just not she's not thought of the way that she should be. I mean, when you see some of her performances, they are just amazing. And I can't really think of any other actress that comes close to her. Yet she's not spoken in the same breath as a lot of the other actresses that you hear about. <clears throat> yeah, that's true. I'd agree with that, but... Plus Peter Falk, too. Like, everyone knows him as Columbo. But, man, right. that guy, he killed it in so many films back then. Made. That's yeah. That's one of my favorite little roles of his. <laughs> oh, Peter Falk is a gem. Um, so I, I definitely recommend Woman Under the Influence. Uh, I think that in your review, you pretty much summed up everything about how I feel about it. Um, not, did you write about the music at all? I thought that the, the music... I, I, was... I touched on it very, very, very little. Uh, Bo Harwood did the music for the film. And again, it's one of those Cassavetes things where I think he was like the sound editor or something. And Cassavetes was just like, uh, you're doing music. And then he just had to come up with shit for it. Yeah, I thought that the, the music choices in the movie were really weird and I loved it. I saw a movie called Stitches. Stitches. 
I think we briefly touched on this last week um, when we talked about the DVD and Blu-ray releases, and I said I might check it out, and I did. Is this it's, about snitches? It's uh, no. It's uh, about a killer clown. Oh, that's right, killer clown movie. It, it's a uh, it's an Irish film actually, and uh, it's not bad. It's extremely gory. I mean, like <laughs> out of control gore in this movie, and it's it's not a serious movie. It's okay. it's a comedy. It's a horror comedy. They don't take anything in this movie seriously, so that that helps it. But in the end, uh, it was pretty pretty average, pretty standard. Other than the the gore, I mean, it wasn't scary particularly. It was it was just kind of goofy, and you know. Now this is also a zombie clown. Am I correct? Yeah. What happens is, uh, it's he's this clown he goes to this birthday party the kids are like really awful to him and they tie his shoestrings together and he goes to walk and he trips and falls onto a knife that was in the dishwasher that was like sticking out in the dishwasher okay and he dies and then he gets he comes back to life and tries to kill all the kids that were at the party six years prior gotcha it's it's not it's not bad but it's not really a must see uh then i saw harmony corinne's mr lonely this was the only harmony corinne movie that i haven't seen up until now so i i knew i like i've been wanting to see this for quite a while and i just i don't know it was one of those things i just never got around to but i finally sat down and watched it this week uh, I liked it a lot. This wasn't my other 10 out of 10, but uh, it's probably like a solid 8 for me. It sounds like it was close. No, uh, I'd say 8. eight. I, liked it, I liked it a lot, but it, it, <clears throat> I don't know. There were, just, there were certain things that I just didn't think were terribly interesting about the movie. Like, for the most part, it was a very unique film, and, and that's kind of why I liked it. Plus, it was, again, like most of Corinne's stuff, visually, it was great to look at. Yeah, and who doesn't want to see Diego Luna as Michael Jackson? Yeah, Diego Luna. Uh, basically, for those of you that, that don't know anything about this movie, it's um, Diego Luna plays a Michael Jackson impersonator, and he ends up meeting up with Samantha Morton, who is a Marilyn Monroe impersonator, and she kind of takes him to this... Uh, <laughs> Sort of like an island of misfit toys, I guess you could say, yeah. where it's it's like a uh, a commune of impersonators, and uh, they just they live in this uh, kind of like a castle where they just hang out and live, and it's really weird. It's yeah. it's it's you very got, odd. Yeah, uh, Werner Herzog in it. Yeah, uh, Dennis Levant from Holy Motors. He plays Charlie Chaplin. Which he does an amazing job as Charlie Chapman. Yeah, and he's a super dick. Yeah, super dick in that. But yeah, I would I would recommend seeing it. As far as accessibility, definitely one of the more accessible Korean movies. Yeah, which is odd because of everything that we just said. Somehow, this is still one of his most accessible yeah. films. Well, it's funny because, like, for the most part, I mean, it's this is a pretty straightforward narrative. For mm-hmm. the most part. Yeah, and it, I mean, it even... It gets dark. Oh, yeah. It gets really dark. Yeah, there... Yeah, t- 
I don't, I don't want to give anything away, but there there is something that happens towards the end that that I was is very disturbing. Yeah, but uh, so definitely I, one to check out though. Yeah, I do recommend it. Uh, then I saw Electra Glide in Blue. This is from my Grindhouse Weekly feature, and this this is a it's a bike exploitation movie from 1973, and it stars Robert Blake. Oh yeah. Now this is, this was a thing in the 70s where motorcycle cops were huge. Oh, just just bike just bike movies in general were huge. I I think it was. When Easy Rider came out, that that opened the floodgates for for these biker movies. And even though this one, this one's like about a cop, obviously, but there are, there are like motorcycle, some motorcycle gangs in it, and it all takes place out on like the desert roads, like all of them do. Yeah, for some reason, motorcycle cops are usually in the desert. Yeah, and I think it all had reached an apex when Chips came around. Because I think that was like the end of the 70s. Yeah, probably. That was probably the end of it once it got really commercialized and, and everything. But uh, this movie's it's pretty average. It's just about Robert Blake plays his bike cop who's trying to become a homicide detective. And uh, he he gets his shot when he Ooh. when he discovers a, a body. And then he, he figures out that the person was murdered. It was set up to look like a suicide. Mm-hmm. And so they give him a shot, but like the the he ends up sleeping with one of the detectives' wives, and then he gets demoted back down to. A... <laughs> uh, it's it's such an odd movie. The thing that I really couldn't get past was that I never really knew where this movie was going, like tonally, because there was a lot of comedy in it but at the same time there was like some really grim stuff in this movie like they show someone getting run over by a car they show people like flying through windshields and getting killed and getting shot um but the thing that made it even worth mentioning was there's uh the there's an introduction scene that was shot in a really really cool way it was the Supposed to be like a suicide, but we later find out that it wasn't. But um, and then at the end of the film as well, the film's climax is excellent and and worth watching hmm. just for that. Uh, but the the rest of the movie is pretty average, and it, it's directed by a guy named James William uh, Garcia. 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 Who you probably know as a member of the band Chicago. Oh my. Yeah, he was uh, one of the founding members of the band Chicago, and Peter Cetera and some of the other members of Chicago are actually in this movie. Oh my God, yes, and that um, is amazing. This guy also was um, in Frank Zappa's band. He got nominated for something like thirty-eight Grammys. I mean, he's a musician first and foremost this is his only movie that he ever made i know i i find it hilarious that i'm like scrolling down through the imdb page for this film and the tagline is an american movie by new director james william gearso and then go down it's like this is the only movie i've ever made yep yeah that's it But he did, I mean, he, it wasn't like his career ended with this movie. He went on to do some pretty he, great, great things in music. Yeah, he's too busy killing it with Chicago. You kidding me? Yeah. I don't got time for movies. Uh, then I saw Badlands by Terrence Malick. 
Uh, this is another one that I've been meaning to watch for a long time, just never got around to it. And Same here. Uh, I, I saw this on Criterion. looks amazing on Criterion. Um, this is my other 10 out of 10. I fucking loved this movie. Nice. I'm not even... You know, before this movie, I, I wouldn't say that I was a Malick fan. Like, I'm not... I'm not a huge Malick fan, but this to, movie made me a, a Malick fan. Yeah, to me, I was looking at at him as interesting. I'm always more than likely going to check out what he does. Yeah, and, and now, uh, I mean, there's still like this film, like you said, I I need to see this. This is so it's so amazing. I just it's movies like this that are just right up my alley. I mean, the the visuals. Uh, the the performances. I mean, it stars Martin Sheen and Sissy Spacek. Uh, very young roles for both of them. This came out in '73 as well. Yeah. Um, and it's based on a true, it's loosely based on a true story where um, in 19 in the 50s there was this couple that killed a whole bunch of people. Mm. Kind of went on this killing spree. Uh, but the movie's not. It, it's interesting because it's rated PG, but it is it's not so it's not overly violent there there is spurts of violence in it but um after i watched this i couldn't help but think about the movie true romance tony scott's true romance and when you see this you'll be like okay well clearly tony scott is i wouldn't say ripping off this movie but certainly drawing inspiration like the music uh is very mm-hmm. similar so maybe that's like Hans Zimmer that's ripping off of whoever did the music for this. But either way, uh, very. I, I saw the similarities between the two, and I love True Romance, but this is this is much better. Mm. Yeah, definitely. So I, I can't say enough. I love this movie. Yeah, I'm gonna try my best to see this for next week. Yeah, I would. Highly recommend it. Um, and that's that's pretty much it. I did see a documentary about pinball called Special Ooh. When Lit. But nice. I don't really have anything to say about it. It was just kind of average. Nothing special? No. no. So, it wasn't so that's, that was it for me. I, I did see a couple other things that I can't talk about quite yet. Oh, uh, that's a bummer. My week was very, very light. Uh, mostly because film had to, uh, I had to fight with a couple of things. Number one, it started getting nice out. So I've been trying to do things outside, but also opening week of baseball. Oh so boy. film always has a tough time when it comes to baseball season. But I was able to watch a whopping three movies. You ready for this? Better get comfortable. Started off with Simon Killer which is the newest film by Antonio Campos, which last week you and Gina, right? Mm -hmm. You and Gina got to sit down and talk with Campos and the main character of the film, Brady Corbett, who actually co-wrote it. Mm -hmm. And I think you saw this film as well, and you saw After School. We we both saw both films by Antonio Campos. Mm -hmm. And this is essentially a recent college graduate, goes to Paris after uh, a breakup that seems to be affecting him greatly and just sort of aimlessly wandering around trying to figure out what to do next and comes upon a Parisian sex club meets a woman there 
and sort of gets into some questionable actions that have disastrous results. And I have to say that the filming is leaps and bounds above After School. I was extremely worried going into this film because we talked about before with After School how the, the curious uh, framing techniques that he uses. Mm-hmm. And he does refrain for the most part in using those techniques. Like majority of the time, I would say like 98% of the time, you see the entire character. Yeah, there are, there are there are a few scenes that I that I remember, and, and we did ask him about this too <laughs> in our interview, where uh, the the camera will be like behind the person, down, you know, on. Um, They're not even showing the characters at all, or only like, showing yeah, like it'd be like down like on a table or something. Yeah, it'll show like the top like five percent of their head or something like that, which was became extremely taxing. In after school but luckily he sort of steered away from that in Simon Killer and I think the performances from Corbett and Maddie Diop who was also in she was in uh, 35 Shots of Rum which is a really good film I thought their performances were really good especially Corbett I thought he did a, a great job oh yeah with this character and I hope to see him in more things I think you're going to yeah and I just I really have a problem with the title it just really rubs me the wrong way. It just it renders the entire film predictable. Like, I know that this guy's a bad guy, and I know what's going to happen. Well, according to um, Campos, he said that from the onset, he wants the viewer to know that this person is capable of killing. Okay. So, like, you're yeah. su- like from, from the beginning, you're, you're supposed to know that this is what he's capable of. It's not supposed to be a serial killer movie or anything like that it's just uh, a about a man who has the ability to capability i guess to kill so i mean yeah there there were there were aspects of this movie that i I thought were a little bit um that should have been a little bit more clear but i i have a feeling that campo should not have gone that direction because number one you make it extremely predictable and then focus all the attention on the technical aspects of the film. Like, if I already know what's going to happen in the film, where I know um, sort of the motivations behind all of the characters, then you've got to really kill it with the camera work, the performances, which, for the most part, like I said, they were good. But everything else just felt flat for me. Yeah. yeah. And I'm just like, okay, yeah, this is exactly how I figured it would be. It just seems sort of pointless to put that in the title right off the bat. Uh, yeah, and plus there's something that happens near the end that I think... It's, um, yeah, that's bullshit. That's completely it, like, bullshit. It, it, you have to, if you listen to, and, and it's a it's a fairly, I mean, I would consider it a spoiler, but we do talk about it in our interview with him, and he, he explains <clears> it. And what what I got from it, what Gina got from it, and I'm assuming what you got from it as well, was not what was actually happening in the movie, so... Well, no, I mean, I... I was able to think of it in both spectrums. You know, it was a rewrite or that is exactly what happened. And I like the ambiguity of that. And I think he should have left it that way. I don't think he should have explained it because the way that he explains it tells me that he couldn't effectively communicate what he was trying to say at the end there, which makes me think less of the way the film ended. When originally I was just thinking that it was ambiguity or the ambiguity of it all. Which 
I had, you know, a decent amount of respect for that. But to have it explained to me the way that it was, just I, I lost all of that. And I was just like, you got to be kidding me. There you go. It's like a, it's like a light recommend, like a very light recommend. Now I have to say that if I didn't see After School, I would have been disappointed by this film. But since I saw After School, I see this as a giant step forward for Campos. I saw him in reverse. I saw Simon Killer first, then After School. Oh, okay. So it was, I don't know, kind of a, I don't know. I, I, I like Simon Killer better. We'll just put it that way. Put it that way. I think we're in agreement there, without a doubt. Uh, the next film I watched was The Guard, the 2011 comedy, crime comedy from uh, John Michael McDonough, who is the brother of Martin McDonough, you know, who's done Seven Psychopaths and In Bruges. Um, I remember when this film came out that there was a lot of buzz about it and how great it was. and It was just an amazing film. So I finally get around to seeing it. And I think that I'm going to get something completely fresh and different. And that's not the case. No. This is just your standard buddy cop, fish out of water story. Mm-hmm. Don Cheadle plays an American FBI agent who has to go to Galway and work with Brendan Gleeson, the, the unorthodox sergeant. And, I mean, it was enjoyable. It, I found it humorous. I enjoyed myself while I was watching it. But it's nothing special. I didn't, I don't, I don't know if I missed something. I'm pretty sure I didn't. No. But, but that was the thing. Like, I, I remembered it laughing and enjoying myself. And then, you know, like two, three days later, I'm trying to think what was so funny about this film. And I can't really think of anything. I can tell you almost nothing about this movie. I saw this a while back and I, I can't tell you anything about it. There's, I remember that I think it was more violent than I anticipated or maybe it was just more adult. Themed. Yeah. They, yeah. I mean, they mix in like the racism stuff, which I, I don't really ever find that funny. Just seems lazy to me to try and, you know, try and uh, comb some humor out of the, people not seeing eye to eye yeah race wise and i I mean brendan gleason was great i love brendan gleason but there does come a point where the sweariness in this movie it's just it's ridiculous like i love the word fuck i love it one of my favorite words but there's parts in this film where there's nothing really going on and it's almost a point where john michael mcdonough's like okay how can i make this a bit more funny you know what I'm going to add the F word in between every single word of dialogue and just really emphasize it when they say it. And there's a lot of scenes that are like that. And it's just, it's too much after a while. It just, it's like overkill. Well, maybe that's how they speak in this little town, this little village. Eh, probably, but didn't like it. But again, like I said, light recommend. You enjoy yourself while you're watching it. It's pretty funny. Yeah, it is pretty funny. But it's, Overall, it's pretty forgettable. And the only other film I saw was Igmar Bergman's Persona from 1966. And this is a strange beast. This is a difficult movie. As soon as I was finished, I thought to myself, I have to watch this again. I'm not exactly sure what I just saw. It's very experimental for Bergman. Um, Essentially, a nurse is in charge of an actress who one day during her performance, just ceases to talk. 
And then she essentially ceases to move. Like she won't get out of bed. She won't talk. And all she really does is laugh occasionally. (laughs) And so this woman's in charge of, you know, taking care of her and everything and not working out. So they go to out in the country, like a summer home and spend the summer out there together, hoping that maybe this respite, a little bit of a vacation will make her feel better. And she never talks. And the nurse does all the talking. It's essentially just a long soliloquy from the nurse. That's all this film is. And Liv Ullman plays the actress, you know, the great Liv Ullman. And it's, it's slightly bizarre that you get such a big name actress to essentially play a part that there's no lines of dialogue. I think she speaks like 13 words, 12 words, something like that. And that's it. She doesn't say anything else. Hmm. And I mean, there's a lot of different ways that you can read into the film. And for right now, I'm still working on it, still trying to process everything. And I'll probably have to watch it again. So I'm not really sure how I feel about it. I know that a lot of people consider this to be Bergman's like greatest film. And it's, it's definitely an interesting watch, some of the stuff that he uses in here. So that's, that's a recommend because I'm just interested to see what other people think. Okay. Um, I probably won't be watching this. No, you're going to watch it. Okay. For, I will force you. I think this is definitely something we should get Ryan at some point in time. Oh, boy. Because I think his mind will melt. That might be one that he refuses to watch. He <laughs> probably will. Every, every film I give him, he refuses to watch. Yeah. All right. Let's move on and talk about some predictions. You had a good week. You got all three. Nice. Uh, Evil Dead, you said 72. I said 73. Actual 65. Mm-hmm. Trance, you said 74. I said 78. Actual 71. And the company you keep, you said 64. I said 66. Actual 55. Mm-hmm. All right. Next week. Big week, and by big I mean horrible. Oh, we have that's... Scary Movie Five. I see what you did there. Yeah, Scary Movie Five. This what are you thinking? Still... On, what are you thinking on still... this? This is still happening. It's uh, it's real. It's real and it's happening. Oh my god, that is awful. Oh, Scary Movie Five. I'm going to go with a five. Oh my god, that's what I, I... I wrote down my predictions beforehand. <laughs> that's what I wrote. Alright, I'll, I'll give you the five, and then I'll go uh, six. <laughs> uh, Alright, 42. I don't, know, I don't know too much about this. I did see a trailer for it a while back, but something tells me that it's not going to be good. I don't, I don't know what that is, but I'm going to say 40. Hmm. Which one are we going here? 42. 42. 42. Mm, that's a, that is a difficult one. Anytime you get into these biopics. Something, I don't know why, but something just tells me it's not going to be good. I'm going to go like a 66. All right, and then we have Terrence Malick's To the Wonder. To what the, are you thinking on that? I'm thinking like a 54. I'm going to say 45. And then finally we have Disconnect. This is the one with Jason Bateman. Uh, looks. I sort of forgot about this film. Again, this one doesn't look that good to me, so I'm going to say 35. Yeah, I'm going to go 43. All right. 
There we go. DVD and Blu-ray releases. This is for Tuesday, April 9th. If you thought last week was bad, <laughs> this week is ten yeah. times worse. We have Hyde Park on Hudson, which is that Bill Murray, uh, Roosevelt. Yeah, which didn't. Which apparently did not get reviews. No, apparently it's pretty bad. So I would skip that. Father's Day, which is a horror movie. I'm probably gonna watch this, even though it looks really bad. Uh, and then Bad Kids Go to Hell, which is mm. another horror movie that I probably will not be seeing. Good lord, you're not kidding. There is nothing. That's it. That's all I have. Family Ties Thick Season. Yeah, there you okay. go. <laughs> I think that's the best thing on here. Family Ties the Sixth Season. That's it. That's all there is. Well, we do have two criterions. We have a Blu-ray of Naked Lunch from David Cronenberg. That's getting a Blu-ray Blu- release that's difficult to say blu-ray release dick which is of course the adaptation of the william s burroughs book naked lunch uh starring peter weller well maybe you should check this out now that it's getting the blu-ray release i I think i'm going to think i'm gonna do that so what i got already i got naked lunch badlands that i gotta watch i think there's another film too that i have to review that i have to watch um and then the only other one is uh Gate of Hell from 1953, a Japanese film that won the Oscar for Best Foreign Language and Best Costume Design. Oh, there you go. So, so I, I don't really know much about that film, but that's getting Blu-ray. If it's costume design, Best Foreign Language, it's probably good. Who knows? Probably good. There you go. I would say uh, probably skip everything. Maybe just check out those Criterions. Yeah. Either I mean, that I, or Family Ties. That's it. Naked Lunch was one of those where I don't even know what to say about it. It was just so odd, Yeah, I, I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about it after you see I'm, it at some point. Yeah, I'm definitely interested because I actually read the novel, and I was not that big of a fan of the novel. So I'd like to see what Cronenberg does with the film adaptation because I'm you sure could, it's batshit insane. Yeah, you could probably imagine. All right, I think that does it. For all the latest film news and reviews, visit us at filmpulse.net. If you want to hear your feedback, send us an email, feedback at filmpulse.net, or call our voicemail line at 850-391-6071. Also, please take a minute to rate us on iTunes. We appreciate that very much. For filmpulse.net, my name is Adam. And I'm Kevin. And we will see you on Wednesday. It's like my my mind just like drew a blank.